Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. everybody and welcome back to Natural MD Radio. I am so excited to have the guest on today that we're going to be listening to and chatting with. But first, before I introduce this very special guest, I want to give you mamas who are listening with children around a little warning that this is about women's health and may get a little bit explicit at times. That said, It may be something that you do want your teenage daughters to listen in on. I'll leave that to your discretion. I'll give you like a minute to just sort of hit pause or get your little toddlers out of the room in case you don't want them repeating some of the words we're sharing. And in the meanwhile, I will introduce my wonderful guest. Today I have with me someone I know you're going to love and be inspired by and so interested in. This is Mika Hollander. She is the co-founder and co-CEO of Sustain Natural, a new brand of sexual and reproductive wellness products for women. She's also the creator of Get On Top, a national campaign aimed at getting women to take control of their sexual health. Mika received her MBA from New York University's Stern School of Business, where she was the president of the Social Enterprise Association. Mika has also done stints at the brand strategy and design firm Sterling Brands and at Johnson & Johnson as a sustainability associate. She writes frequently on sexual health issues and advocacy for publications, including Refinery29, and is the co-author of the book Naturally Clean. Through Sustain's 10% for Women initiative, she is proud to work closely with Planned Parenthood. Mika was also recently named one of Fast Company's most creative people in 2017 and listed on Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Mika's currently working with Simon & Schuster on her new book, Get On Top, to be released in March 2018. And as a a little added note, I just want to say I do very little associating with products, with companies. I'm extremely selective and pretty much always say no when somebody asks to send me a brand or will I be involved and, you know, look at a product. And when Mika and Jeffrey Hollander, her dad of seventh generation fame, contacted me and asked me if I would be involved as medical advisor and kind of spokesperson for Sustain, I looked into what they were doing. And I have to tell you, ladies, it's good stuff. It's important for women's health. It's important for the environment and it's important for our next generation. So Mika, it is a pleasure to welcome you today. And it's been a pleasure to be associated with Sustain and to learn more about what you're doing and be able to help support that. And I'm excited to do that today. Thank you so much for having me. I like, I can't even listen to everything you said about me because it makes me so uncomfortable, but it's exciting. (laughs) I'm glad you got all my bio out there. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. It's well earned. I mean, this is an innovative and bold move that you've made. So what I want to know is how did you get going with this? What, What was going on in your mind or in your life in college or grad school that made you say, all right, Condoms are a women's sexual health issue. So as you mentioned briefly, I mean, I really grew up, my parents founded Seventh Generation, and I grew up sort of deeply rooted in the natural product space. 
And when I was in business school, I had done, you know, I'd worked at a couple different companies. I obviously had the seventh generation experience and basically sort of decided at that point, I wanted to start my own business, but didn't have the idea on my own. Jeffrey, my dad and business partner had always long had this idea of creating a sustainable condom. But what really interested me in the condom category was, you know, looking at all of the research around women's sexual and reproductive health, hearing statistics like only 20% of single women use condoms regularly, 48% of pregnancies are unplanned still in this country. And additionally, that one in four college freshmen that's female gets an STD during her first year at school. I, I had always been involved with organizations like Planned Parenthood and had an interest in the women's reproductive and sexual health space. But hearing the statistics, looking at the condom category, which had lacked any innovation for the last few decades and had only ever focused on men, I saw a really big opportunity to really create a women's first sexual wellness products company, starting with condoms. So the fact that your dad, Jeffrey, had wanted to start a condom company and that you knew about this, to me, suggests a question that I hadn't really thought of before you said that, which is there must have been some level of sexual conversation openness in your home. Can you tell us about that and what you think about the importance of that for um, women who are listening, who are raising kids to be in that open dialogue in their family, if that, in fact, was the case in your home? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny. I get this question, obviously, all the time. And and people think, I feel like some people are like, do you just like sit around with your dad and talk about sex all the time? And the answer to that is no, I don't do that. (laughs) But What my parents really did and sort of instilled throughout our household and with my other siblings too was just like this open sort of communication environment where we they really wanted us to feel comfortable being honest with them and going to them with questions and concerns with everything from sex to drinking to drugs to relationships like they didn't want to create a space where we felt like if we went to them and told them something happened or we were thinking about doing something that we would get met with sort of this like judgment and sort of just them getting really angry. So the way that I always explain the way that like like my parents and my dad specifically talked to me about sex and relationships and birth control was he always started with just like, even from a younger age, when I was like starting to talk about boys, like he always like asked me about that. And as I got older, he asked me like, do you feel safe? Do you feel good about yourself? Like, do you feel like you can trust him? And he just created an environment where I felt comfortable talking to him about my relationships and actually going to him for advice. And so that naturally evolved when I started to become or think about becoming sexually active, that I went to my parents to talk about birth control or talk about like, I felt ready. Like, I think that was started at a much younger age. And it wasn't just like throwing me a pack of condoms when I like, turned 18 or 21 or whenever a a parent may feel comfortable doing that, which is probably never, but for a lot of us, but so it was really just like a way of communication, a way of like having really open, honest dialogue. And when you decided to jump into the condom space, what were some of the issues that you faced or felt were the biggest obstacles for, I mean, you said 20% of women are using condoms. And I mean, at the other end of things, as a physician, I'm the one who is, or one of the ones who's, you know, treating those sexually transmitted infections that women get in their first year. And 
this 40% or so of pregnancies that are unexpected or unplanned and sometimes unwanted or not great timing is really a lot of suffering for women. What do you feel are the biggest obstacles that are preventing condom use? Oh, so many. I mean, when you think about just sort of the U.S. society and the culture that we've created around female sexuality and women just being sexual, like we've created a world where it's not okay for a woman to like enjoy sex. Like I think that's tide is sort of changing. But in the 1950s, women were being like told by their moms that like they were going to get married and they were going to have to have sex with their husbands and they weren't going to enjoy it. But like, it was just a part of like being a good wife. So I think when you just take that as an example, mixed with things like in New York up until two years ago, a woman could be arrested on suspicion of prostitution and the condoms could be used as evidence against her. Like we haven't come as far as we've needed to in terms of it, like just accepting and embracing and celebrating sort of female sexuality. So that was and has and continues to be a huge challenge is 70% of women who walk into a drugstore and pick up a box of condoms feel awkward and even ashamed making that purchase. Like the first thing for us was like, okay, let's get the 40% of women who are buying condoms because 40% of condoms are actually purchased by women. Let's get them to buy sustain. But more importantly, let's create a new dialogue and create a new normal where buying condoms for women is something you feel good about, something you feel empowered by. Because in my mind, it's a critical part of your health and wellness. There's no reason you should feel better about going to the gym or eating right than you should feel buying and carrying condoms. So that's been for me and for the company, you know, obviously since then we've expanded into other product categories like lubricants and now tampons and pads which have been a little bit easier. But for us, it was really about like that condom really signifies like our mission to create a world where women feel empowered, taking control of their sexual health and not ashamed or stigmatized for it. It's so interesting because when you think about all the products that you're, I mean, I don't think any woman goes into, well, I should say any woman, but very few women go into the, the sanitary products department of the drugstore or Whole Foods or anywhere that they go and like just sort of feel excited about walking out and checking out their products. I mean, I remember being a teenager and getting my period and having to buy pads. And then if there was like a guy at the checkout or a teenager, it was mortifying. And I don't know that that fully changes for a lot of women. And then vaginal dryness is so stigmatized in and of itself. Women either feel like there's something wrong with them or they feel awkward talking about it. I'm, there's, I don't think any of those products aren't stigmatized in some way. Do you know what I mean? Totally. No, I mean, I think we're trying to change that. I think even the period example you gave, period, like menstruation, like this, the root of that word like means taboo in, some, in a language. And like there's a shame associated with that as well. Anything relating to women's sexual and reproductive health has been sort of like stigmatized, has a taboo associated with it. And it, it, so when you go into a store and you buy tampons and pads, I mean, for me, it's not like I'm not like jumping up and down when exactly. I get my period because it doesn't feel great. But like you shouldn't feel ashamed about it. Like this is a part of like life. This is why we're all here, like because women get their periods. Like so we're just trying to change the conversation and change the mindset and make that purchase feel something you're feel good about. You're buying it from a brand that's being transparent about our ingredients and like really out there to change the conversation. And I think that's sort of where we have found success. 
So before we talk about the ingredients, because this is really important, and some of the other products too, you mentioned the word taboo, which is, uh, it's in Polynesian, taboo is the word for menses, right. which right. just assists so much. I was just talking about this recently, I think in another podcast or somewhere that I was teaching, and it, it really, it just almost says everything, right? Well, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the word vagina, I have to say, because it means a sheath, right? So it kind of connotes really one purpose for the sword to go in there. And so I don't love that word, but anatomically, it makes sense. You know, it's, what, it's the medically correct word, so I use it. But in my own personal life, I use the word yoni, which is the Sanskrit word for a woman's genitalia. And it, it's um, symbolized by... Oh, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, it's a triangle and there's a sacred connotation. So I'm just curious. I mean, I'm 51. I know you're a bit younger than I am. What are the words that women are using favorably about their yonis or vaginas that you particularly like? Or what's your word? Do you just say vagina at home or like what, what's your thing? Yeah, I feel like actually, it's funny you mentioned this because I feel like I've spent the last four years like building this company as like trying to just like make people like love the word vagina. Yeah. <laughs> I love the word vagina. I feel like it's just been, I mean, everything from like what we get flagged on Facebook in terms of our advertising, like using that word, oh, that, that word no. has been so off limits for so long that for me, just using that word, it, it also is a word that happens to appear on the cover of my book. <laughs> so I do really like the word. Um, and for me, it's been about like, let's just say it and feel good about it and sort of change the connotation with it. Like, I think it makes it made people and still makes people sort of squirm a little bit. And so I'm trying to change that. Yeah. I love the word Yoni. I've heard it many times and it's definitely also like on my short lips list of vaginal terms. Short lips. I love it. (laughs) Short lips and short list. (laughs) Yeah. Freudian slip. Yeah, that was, that was funny. But yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to make it like just another body part that people and women are comfortable talking about. Because I think as you probably know, like because we aren't even comfortable saying the word vagina, we don't talk about STDs and vaginal dryness and like BV and like all of this stuff because people just don't, aren't comfortable talking about vaginas period. And then we sort of create, perpetuate a lot of these issues and the lack of knowledge around them and the lack of women having the information they need to actually like take control of their sexual health. I agree. And we definitely have to take back the word. I think there are a lot of words that women are trying to take back. And one of the uh, one of the assignments in my women, one of my women's professional courses is for women to actually and these are for practitioners, midwives and health providers to be able to stand in a mirror and say the word vagina as many times as they can need to looking at and being able to really say it comfortably because it's a word that people have a hard time getting getting out. So I'm like super, super happy to hear you say, let's take ownership of that word. Cause I agree. It's, it needs to be said. It needs to be reframed. So I love, I love your, your take on it. BV, you mentioned, I actually did a first part podcast on what I call vaginal ecology a few weeks back. And I've got a BV second part of that coming up in a couple of weeks. Talk about BV condoms and lube. I know we've had this conversation. I think it's a really important one for my listeners to hear. Yeah, I think the BV conversation is really important in terms of lubricants. 
And I just think that this is, you know, I actually wasn't as knowledgeable about BV until we created a line of lubricants and I hadn't had it, but it's crazy to me, like 84% of women who actually have BV don't even know that they have it. Like it's this widespread thing and the symptoms, which I'm sure you'll talk about too, of like itching or a smell, like it just goes back to this importance of like really getting to know your body, getting to know your vagina, knowing what's your normal so that when you experience some of these symptoms, you're able to actually understand like, oh shit, something, sorry, I don't know if I'm no, supposed totally to curse on your <laughs> I do sometimes. But like, okay, like something's wrong and like I need to go to my doctor. Yeah. So so basically with lubricants in particular, and really like any vaginal product, your vagina, as I'm sure you've talked about many times, has its, has its own pH level. Most women fall between a certain range. And when you have a product that you come into contact with down there that has like a much higher pH, you get this sort of imbalance that occurs in your vaginal ecosystem. And so a lubricant's a good example because a lot of lubricants out there that have parabens or glycerin or petrochemicals um, or even silicone, these ingredients tend to come with a higher pH level. And that when they come into your system and enter your vagina, which is like one of the most absorbent parts of your body, this basically imbalance of your own natural pH level causes sometimes for a lot of women this overgrowth of bad bacteria, which can turn into bacterial vaginosis. And so I love the word vaginal or the term vaginal ecology because I like to think of it as like your vagina has its own ecosystem. And when something, you know, incompatible comes into contact with it, you just like you would in your gut, I imagine you sort of produce this bad bacteria. And once you have BV, because in a way your vagina is unhealthy or sick, it makes it harder for your body to combat against STDs or HIV. So for us, it was really important with everything from our lubricants to our wipes to make sure that they're P what we call pH balance. I call them vagina friendly. Oh, yeah. We call them that, too. Yeah. pH balance and vagina friendly and basically making sure that our products are by no means disrupting your vaginal ecosystem. Yeah, I'm actually going to be launching a course next year after, well, my book, next book comes out in January 2019, but on vaginal ecology, how women can recreate and restore their vaginal ecosystem. It's so important to health and it can be reflective of other imbalances going on, gut dysbiosis, diet, mm -hmm. stress. So it's, it's a great body barometer. You mentioned uh, other infections like HIV, for example, and this is actually a significant global health problem for women, mm -hmm. for women, but also for men, particularly with HPV and other, I won't get too explicit because some people might be offended, but other forms of sex that people are having that can lead to, for example, anal cancers and other problems. So the condom and the whole, and, and lube too, because having sex when you're dry and uncomfortable in and of itself can lead to irritation and fissures that can let vaginal infections take hold. So this is a, this is a big, not just issue for us, but this is one of the big global health issues in terms of reducing HIV infection. Totally. I mean, I think in something that still sort of shocks me, and you know this better than I do in the U.S. is just the way that people are just so not concerned with STDs and HIV and, and HPV being part of yeah. that. I think that we are unfortunately have become, and especially as women, really uh, reckless with our sexual health. And I think 
most straight women, their number one concern when having sex with a new partner or with their regular partner is preventing an unwanted pregnancy. But then it ends there. There's not as much talk around STD prevention. And that's why condom use among single women is so low. I mean, the fact to me that 80 or 79% of single women in this country are out there having unprotected sex. I mean, it makes, it's horrifying. It's so crazy to me that we're putting our sexual health sort of at will. We're not asking partners if they've been tested and, and if they have been tested, what their results say. And I think it's just so important now more than ever, as I'm sure you've, you know, and have talked about, like some of these STDs are becoming resistant to antibiotics. Like this is not, this is not just like a problem. Someone joked with me, actually, I was at a conference last week and they were like, that's why it's called gonorrhea, right? Cause it goes away. I was like, no, it was a joke, but like, yeah. I was like, no. And like, sometimes it doesn't anymore. And it's just so important to have those conversations and to just be able to talk to our friends, our partners, our one night stands, like about being safe around sex. And for me, that starts with women being comfortable and empowered about buying and carrying condoms, using lubricant if they need it, and entering into situations where they feel prepared and they're actually taking control of their sexual health. This is huge. And, um, you know, I think that for a lot of women listening, they might hear that 40 to 48% unexpected pregnancy statistic and think, oh, that's, you know, that's high school students and that's college age students, but actually <laughs> it's women all the way until menopause. Oh. And one of the highest risk groups for contracting HIV is actually women who are a little bit older, who are peri or postmenopause, who think they can't get mm -hmm. pregnant, so think that they don't need to use a condom. And, you know, I just actually saw a woman in my practice who not long ago who had contracted HPV in a new relationship. She's divorced. She was in a new relationship. And I was like, um, did you get him tested? Did you guys get tested? She's like, no, I'm sure he doesn't have anything. And I'm like, you got HPV. That doesn't always come alone, you know? And this idea that, well, I don't, like, we're adults, we're mature, we're professionals, we make money, we own homes, so we couldn't have sexually transmitted infections is so not accurate. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's, and like, as people know, like divorce rates have gone up and people are back on the market at an older age and they weren't, it, a lot of these things didn't exist 30, 40 years ago. Like people are needed, you know, there needs to be education that like, even if you can't get pregnant, you can get a lot of other stuff that can really like mess with your body. I've heard yeah. a lot of stories of women who are younger who get a sexually transmitted disease, but it goes undiagnosed because they don't have any symptoms. They aren't getting tested regularly. And then it causes issues in their reproductive organs later on. So right, just exactly. as important as to be safe is you have to be getting tested regularly. And I think, you know, it's something that a lot of, I think even doctors who are doing regular checkups aren't always asking. Like, we need to get people comfortable not only talking to their partners about sex, but comfortable talking to their doctors about sex, even if it's not their OBGYN. And so I just think there's a lot of education and work to be done on that front as well. You know, it was interesting when I was talking with this particular woman, I suggested that she, she and he get tested and she said, well, I don't feel comfortable talking with him about it. And I was like, all right, let's get this straight. 
you feel comfortable having sex with the person, but not having a conversation about sex. And I, like that has almost kind of become one of my rules for a relationship. If you can't actually talk about it, then it's not the right relationship or you need to get straight with yourself first because these, these are like, these are life, potentially life-threatening consequences. This is not small stuff we're talking about here. Right. No, I mean, I totally agree. I, I think, unfortunately, what you just described is the norm. I think it's not an exception. And I think that, again, it goes back to, like, if women feel comfortable taking control of their sexual health and feel good about it, that will come, right? The conversation will come because they're not going to be uncomfortable asking for and getting what they want when it comes to the bedroom. So what are some of the ways, let's just say if you could think of three ways, and, and, and you know, I want to also be respectful of women who are listening who have had trauma, because that's 25 at least percent of women who have had sexual trauma, and we just saw with Rose McGowan's Me Too, the numbers are just oh, yeah. staggering, right? It's just staggering. So what are some ways that women who are either you know, a little bit older, and this is a little bit more new for them, or, or just for just, you know, people can take more control of their sexual health in ways that feel comfortable to them? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with like educating yourself. I think for me in this world, like information is power. And that's everything from listening to this podcast or reading up online, although there's a lot of misinformation out there, talking to your doctor, talking, talking to your friends. Like I, you know, I've always been like a very open person when it comes to like my sex life with my friends and talking about good experiences and bad experiences and stuff like that. But I think it still blows my mind how many women aren't even comfortable, like opening up to their friends about it. And we're all experiencing similar things. And the more you talk about it, the more you'll learn about basically like yourself and sort of learn things to avoid or stay away from or do more like, and that also goes with like getting to know your own body. I mean, I think the pleasure gap between men and women is so high because so many women don't know how to make themselves feel good. And I think knowing how to do that is huge in terms of then entering into an experience with a partner and knowing sort of what to ask for. Have you ever seen the book Women's Anatomy of Arousal, Sherry Winston? I haven't. That's a great one for listeners. If you want an accurate book, Sherry's a Nurse Midwife. She has really great descriptions of women's anatomy. It's very loving. It's very respectful, but then also ways that women can explore their own pleasure and ways that women in relationship can share with their partners to understand their needs for pleasure too. So for women who haven't explored that, want a book that, that's you know safe, going to feel comfortable to read, but give you a lot of, of info, that's a great one. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's good, there are good books and stuff out there. My book that's coming out March 13th called Get on Top is also basically kind of like what I'm describing as Vagina 101, but that's everything from like birth control to masturbation to STDs. Like basically like how to have that conversation with your partner, how to just like get comfortable, like pleasuring yourself and just sort of like holding people's hand and walking them through that because And even in writing this book, I have learned so much about all of these issues. And I thought I was, I didn't think I was a doctor or an expert, but I thought I knew a lot about a lot after having a lot of these conversations over the last few years. And so it's just been like really 
amazing to me to just take a step back and being like, okay, do I actually know how every form of birth control works? And like, how do I know that I'm on the right thing for me? And just being able to ask those questions. I love it. I love the title. It's a great title. Tell me how you came to that. How did it come to that? So a couple of years ago, um, I had, I had had this idea of, I wanted to get for women's health day, like national women's health day, which is in May every year. I was, you know, I'd been working on sustain for about a year at that point. And I was just so irritated that on women's health day, we talk about diet and exercise and mental health and all this stuff. And like sexual health was always left out of the conversation. And so I decided that for women's health day, I guess this was last year, I wanted to get a hundred thousand women to pledge to practice safe sex. And I gave a con- one condom to a nonprofit for every woman who took the pledge. And it just, it, it just started out as this idea, like how can we have an impact on this day? How can we educate women that sexual health is a part of their overall health and wellness they need to take just as seriously and really have an impact by getting so many thousands of women to actually take the pledge and share it on social. So I don't remember exactly how I came up with the get on top. It was something that we played around with for a long time, like in terms of like, what was our hashtag going to be? What was our tagline going to be? And it never really felt completely right or never really took off in terms of like the brand. So I decided to sort of spin it into this sort of side project around getting women to take the pledge to practice safe sex. And then from there, obviously it turned into the book. I love it. It's a great title. It says so much. So, okay, let's talk about ingredients because you're welcome. This is huge. You are sustained generation two. And I, I, I have to tell I told your dad when I met your dad, I said the first time I got a seventh generation product was in like 1985, maybe. And he came home with recycled toilet paper. And I said, Wait a yeah. Yeah, I was like, how do they how do they recycle toilet paper? I had this whole different image. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's not used toilet paper. So seventh oh, generation. Yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> and you know, kind of that sort of ecological living has been in my life. I, you know, full disclosure, I started out using cotton organic homemade pads in the beginning because yeah. I mean in nineteen eighty two when I started getting into self care, nineteen eighty one there was nothing. So I had to make my own pads and then eventually organic cotton pads and condoms became available. There was a great book that came out sometime. I want to say in the nineties, it was called whitewash and I don't think it got a lot of play, but it was an amazing look at industrial byproducts or or industrial solvents, things like dioxin that are in our, in our sanitary products that end up on and in our bodies And then when we look at things like lube, some of the ingredients, I mean, you think lube is supposed to provide some moisture, but, you know, as you and I know, I've talked about some of them actually dry you out and lead to more infections and irritations. So let's talk ingredients. Tell me what you all are doing and and why. Share that with our listeners. Yeah, I mean, ingredients are huge. I mean, I think the one crazy, 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 crazy thing that honestly even a few years into doing this, I still struggle to wrap my head around and I'm actually working to change is that the FDA does not require tampon or condom manufacturers to disclose their ingredients. So we've been living in a world for the last however many decades where we've been 
putting something like a tampon inside of ourselves, most women use between 11 and 12,000 in their lifetime, where we have no way to access the information around the ingredients in these products. And on top of that, there has not been one single study ever published looking at the impact of these ingredients in conventional tampons on women's bodies. So to me, that's just totally crazy and unacceptable. So Sustain is flipping the script on all this stuff. Every ingredient we use is transparent. And it's something like our tampons, we just use one ingredient, 100% organic cotton. And so the problem is in conventional tampons, in some of them you'll find things like rayon, synthetic fragrances, dyes. I mean, these, in my opinion, have no place inside a woman's, one of the most absorbed parts of her body, especially without there being any research around if they're actually safe to use in that part of your body or period. We know some of those ingredients are estrogen disruptors. And so they can, and you know, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I've worked with quite a lot of women who have pretty severe menstrual cramps and they went from just wearing tampons to wearing pads and started having improvement. And I've always wondered about that because physiologic pressure doesn't answer that enough. There's something inflammatory, I think, going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I don't know enough about, you know, why cramps and, and using tampons versus pads, but I do think that it's women have the right and deserve to know what they're putting inside their bodies. Absolutely. And so I think that when you look at something like a tampon and you look at an issue like glyphosate, which is the pesticide that they use to actually treat conventional tampon, and we know glyphosate has caused cancer and other issues for workers who are actually exposed to glyphosate, in my mind, even if it's the traces of trace amounts in your tampon, that has no place inside a woman's body. And so similarly with the condoms, when we got started, we learned that when you actually heat and mold latex, and this is for any latex product, a chemical reaction occurs and nitrosamines form in the latex, which are a known carcinogen. And then when you the latex comes into contact with bodily fluid, the nitrosamines get released into your body. So interestingly, the FDA regulates the nitrosamine levels in things like pacifiers, another latex product coming in contact with bodily fluid, but doesn't regulate them in condoms. So while we're by no means saying don't use condoms that have nitrosamines because I actually think any condom is better than no condom, it is, in my opinion, important to do what we did, which is add a chemical blocker to the manufacturing process to prevent them from form the nitrosamines from forming in the latex. And on top of that, it's important to me that, again, women and men have access to information with what's actually in these products. That's brilliant, Mika. The transparency is so important. And I love that you said any condom's better than no condom. I I always feel like, um, you know, when somebody is on a mission and they're saying, look, this mission is important. It's not just my product. That really says a lot about their integrity. And another thing that I want to share with listeners about your integrity as a company is it's not just our own what I call vaginal sustainability, right? This is, we're talking about an ecosystem. We're talking about what's sustainable, but you as a, as a company have a commitment to ecological and grower sustainability around your latex, around your products. So um, if you want to speak to that, that would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, so that's another great thing to talk about in terms of the condoms. So what we learned when we were starting this business, I was looking for, 
the source of the latex. So latex is actually the sap of the rubber tree. So when you're actually finding your rubber plantation, we went around the world, we looked at all these plantations, and we learned that most rubber plantations actually employ a ton of child labor. They use a ton of harsh chemicals on the plantation. So we ended up finding the only fair trade certified rubber plantation in the world that makes latex for condoms. And that means there's no child labor. All the workers are being paid a fair wage, which is much higher than the standard wage paid in their area. They have access to free health care. All their kids are in school. And it was just a really special place. And we basically try and take that approach to all of our supplier relationships and all of our manufacturing. And it's important for us to work with people who are sort of at the forefront of creating the most sustainable product in whatever category we're going into. I love it. The name of the company, Sustain, is, to me, there's so many fun and important double entendres to that. And I love what you're doing. I love what the company stands for. I love the mission that you're on to educate women to become more empowered about their bodies. But also, I think that so often in the health and wellness world, it really becomes about denying pleasure. You know, we're not eating all these things. We're doing all these workouts. Like, everything is about what we're not doing. And a lot of the pleasure can start to feel foreign. And yet, this is a company that brings pleasure back to life. And I think that's also, in a, in, and health, and it's so powerful. So thank you for what you're doing. It's exciting. It's innovative. It's important. Great. No, no, thank you so much. So Mika, thank you, so much. you are so welcome. Women who are listening want to get products. What's the best way for them to get the condoms, the lube, pads, tampons? Yeah, you can buy everything at sustainnatural.com. Um, we have a really amazing experience where we actually customize your organic cotton tampons, pads, and liners or whatever you need and use. We have a kit that we just launched um, a couple months ago so you can customize based on your flow. We actually just also launched our free trial so you get your first 30 days for free. And then you can also access, obviously, the condoms, lubricants, wipes, et cetera, all on the site. So it's sustainnatural.com. And then on social, we're just at sustain. And it's a great site for learning more about your body, learning more about pleasure. It's a fun site to actually visit. I, I like visiting it. And then your book comes out March 2018, Get on Top. And so maybe yes. we'll, we'll circle back around and we'll, we'll get the word out about the book when it's coming out because I'm excited about it too. I can't wait to get a preview copy myself. <laughs> That will be coming soon. I'm, I am, I need to keep editing <laughs> and then it will be ready. <laughs> it's a labor of love, but it's going to be great. And you know what? I, I, yes. I think it's so important. It's great when women like me who are doctors are writing what I'm writing about, but I think it's, there's something really special about a woman who gets empowered, becomes a citizen scientist, as I like to say, and just, gets that word out there. I think that it really creates a different voice. You, I think, are have an ability and capacity with the products to really span several generations, which is, is beautiful. So thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. And we'll talk again. We'll get the word out about the book. And check out Sustain, everybody, because I, you know these are products that are in my home. They're the ones I recommend in my practice. I don't profit from the products. I just love them. They're, they're wonderful. So 
So it's a real honor to be able to have you on today and to be able to support what you're doing, Mika. Thank you. We will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time. Thank you.